morning. Hey, I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our churchwide campaign called The Story. Uh, for 31 weeks, we're going through the majority of the Bible, and we're almost at the halfway point, just a couple more weeks uh, until then. But last week, we learned all about David, how God took him from being a shepherd to a mighty king. A king excuse me. We learned that he was considered a man after God's own heart, and God did amazing things through him. This week, if you read chapter 12 of the story, which I hope you did, uh, we learned that, well, nobody's immune from sin. We learned that even those closest to God can make terrible mistakes, terrible decisions, and they have, well, just huge consequences. And you see, David's story isn't unique. All of us turn on the TV every day and we see somebody else caught in a massive scandal. Somebody else we looked to, we thought was amazing, we kind of aspire to be. I mean, in my field, there are plenty of pastors who are getting fired or asked to leave because of sin. And maybe in your field too, I bet it doesn't take any of us long to think about people we know who got caught up in just terrible things. And we think, how? Why? I mean, how did they get there? See, the truth is, none of us are immune to temptation. I mean, you probably already know that. But the reality is none of us can tame sin. The difference is some of us know how to deal with it early and some of us wait, well, till it's too late. From the story of David, we can see that even somebody considered a man after God's own heart, even somebody that God can use in a mighty, amazing way, even the king of God's people can fail and make terrible decisions. And those decisions have consequences far greater than he could have ever imagined. But just like David, you and I, we all have to figure out how to deal with sin. You see, what we're going to learn from the story of David is there's actually only one proper way. If you have your Bible with you, you can open them up. If not, it'll be back here on the screen. We're going to look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. It says this, in the springtime... When the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. See, the writer's pointing out, which I'm sure you caught, that David shouldn't have been here. That whole idea of idle hands. David's a warrior king, but instead of being out with his people, he's hanging out back in Jerusalem, relaxing. Well, he gets bored. So he starts looking for something to occupy his time. Look at this, verse two. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And so what you have, you have this picture of a king walking around aimlessly on a roof, going nowhere. He's just bored, looking for something, and he sees this beautiful woman. So he finds out about her, wants to learn, and and once he learns she is married, what should he do? Run. But he doesn't. He inquires. Now, Now, here's the thing that has to blow your mind. David had at least seven wives. David had at least 10 concubines, which if you don't know what those are for, we can talk about that a different day. (laughs) 
All scholars, all of them believe he probably had many more than this. This is just what's mentioned in the scriptures. David could have ran to 17 other women. But he saw this lady on the roof and knew she was married. But instead, he does this. It says, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. It says, now she was purifying herself from a monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, I am pregnant. So, I mean, obviously some time has went by there, right? David has chosen to sleep with one of his soldier's wives. And I hope none of us are caught in this situation like David is. But I'm sure we've all been in a place where we knew that our sins are going to come out. That we know it's going to be exposed. And so does David choose to own this or does David choose to hide it? Yeah, hide it. You ever done that before? Yeah, we're going to hide the fact that we've done that before this morning, aren't we? That's right. See, David chooses the cover-up game, and it doesn't work out so well for him. Let me sum it up for you. David calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He's on the front lines. He says, send Uriah back to give me a report about the war. So Uriah does. He comes back, tells David about what's going on, and David says, okay, we're done, hoping that Uriah would go home. He's been away for a long time. He'll go back home and have relations with his wife, and then they'll think, oh, well, it's, it's his child. Everything's good. So when he gets done, he dismisses Uriah and finds out that Uriah is sleeping at the front gates. David says, why, why didn't you go home? He says, well, all the men are out fighting and my commander's out there. I can't go home while all my men are out there. Showing us a clear difference between David's integrity and Uriah's integrity. So David says, well, I got a good idea. I'll have a man, I'll get him drunk. Right? Like that's his and David's great plan. So he has Uriah come over, gets him drunk. He goes, surely he'll go home then. But he doesn't. He still goes on the front line. And what comes after next just blows my mind. I'm thinking, surely David could have like dismissed him from the military, you know, like maybe shot him with an arrow where he couldn't go back. I mean, well, you think that's maybe too much. Well, David, what does he do? He sends a note going, all right, this guy's not going home. Here's what I do. I write a note to his commander to say to send him to the front line so he gets murdered. Like, David, how how do you get there? That's, That's pretty far. And so he does, he sends a note to Joab to say, hey, send Uriah to the front line, go in too close where you know you shouldn't be, and when they start attacking, pull back so he gets killed. Joab does it. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You see, here's what the author's showing us. We probably don't pick up on it right away. So far, David's covered everything up. And so far, he looks like a really good guy. One of my soldier's men died. Isn't it noble of me? I'm gonna bring her to my house and I'm gonna take care of her because nobody else knows what's going on. So publicly, it looks like David is being a noble guy of integrity, you know, doing for one of his soldiers what he wishes he could do for all, brought him in to take care of her, but... He wasn't fooling the Lord. Brings us back to what we learned at the beginning about David. Remember, God looks at the inside, not on the outside, what everybody sees. So David, I mean, David hadn't fooled God. So Nathan the prophet 
goes to speak with David. Anytime you see a prophet show up, you know what's coming next is usually not good for somebody, okay? They pronounce something. And so David tells, Nathan tells David a story. So there were two men in a town. One was rich, had a lot of sheep, had a lot of cattle. The other was a poor man who just had one sheep, took care of it, loved it, brought it in. What, what many of you do with your dogs, right? Sleeps on the bed, all that kind of stuff, okay? Just said had one lamb that he loved. One rich man, one poor man with one sheep. When a visitor comes to the town, the rich man, instead of providing hospitality of the abundance of his things, chooses to take the one sheep from the poor man, slaughter it, and serve it as dinner for the guest. When David heard that this rich man took advantage of this poor man, he burned with anger and said, who is it? He has to pay for this. David insists that this rich man who did that had to pay, what is it, four times more to this other man. To which Nathan points out, you, David, are that man. He ends up saying a whole bunch of stuff to David, but he says this in verse nine. He said, why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Verse 10, he says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. Who's me there? All right, now this is important. I wanna show you this. And he took and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And so here's God views this, this sin, this ignoring of God's word. David's actions, when he is sinning against the Lord, when he's doing these things to Bathsheba and Uriah, God's taking it personal. And God's saying, what you did not only showed that you despised my word, but you despised me. You see, we like to think, oh, well, I just ignore the Bible. It's no big deal. But to what David found out, no, no, no. God takes that personal. You see, his word and who he is are attached when you despise, you ignore God's word, God says, oh, that you're despising and ignoring me. You see, for whatever reason, I, I don't know the answer. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through scripture. The scriptures guide us, they instruct us. We are to live our lives by them because they teach us how to glorify God, which is our purpose on this planet. Even the king doesn't get a pass on this. Even the king can't do whatever he wants to do. You see, all of us are gonna come to sections of scripture. All of us are gonna come to things in the Bible that we don't like. If, if you're saying that's not true, it's because you've never read it, okay? All of us are gonna struggle trying to live out the Bible. They probably, a lot of it will teach us that we're living wrong. And you have to understand, that's not just some of us. Some of us just don't encounter the Bible and go, oh, well, I don't, I don't like this. This really, you know, offends me. That happens to all of us. All of us have to wrestle with that. But the reason why we take God's word serious is because God takes his word serious. And, and unfortunately, I don't get to define sin. That would be convenient, wouldn't it? You don't get to define sin. God defines sin because God is the creator, the owner of all things. It's just one of the core beliefs of Christianity, of our faith, that we believe God is the owner of everything. He created, therefore he is the owner. And never in scripture does God ever relinquish his control. This is very important. He never gives it up and says, you know what, I don't want it, you can have it. What's communicated to us is we are simply managers. God is the owner. We manage his things on his behalf. So because he's the owner, 
If you've ever worked for a small business where they had an owner, you understand it's not yours. You follow their rules. It's all his. So God, because it's his, gets to define how we live. He gets to teach us on what, how we treat each other. He gets to teach us on what should be the most important things in our lives. You see, God gets to create the policies. We just follow them. You see, sin, sin is real, and sin's a big deal. See, I went to seminary to learn how to say things like that. You like that? I did. That was like profound. Just, you'll remember it. Sin is real, and it's a big deal, and it affects far more than you can imagine. You see, sin affects you personally. Every sin will do something to you. It hurts you. But sin also affects your relationship with God. Where when you're in sin and you're living something that he wants to forgive and redeem you, but you're choosing to do it anyways, it creates this division and this hardship, and I don't really know how to explain it perfectly, but sin hurts you, it hurts your relationship with God, but it also hurts other people. There is no sin that's just between you and you. All sins hurt other people. And what we find out about sin, especially from Life of David, I think I've taught on this before, For every sin, there's a pleasure, but also a what? Yeah, payment. I I was taught this. I didn't come up with this one. The other one I did, though, so you can remember that. No, that was me, okay? But for every sin, there's a pleasure and a payment. I wish this wasn't true, but it is. You see, if you read 2 Samuel, maybe some of you have read the Bible before you have. If not, you should check it out. It gets very interesting. You see, at the beginning of David's life, we see this young warrior king who's after God, and God does amazing things through him. It's like, wow, look look at this guy go. And then after this, the story changes quickly. It goes from a guy God is using in an amazing way to David picking up the pieces of his broken, massive, dysfunctional family. If you thought your family was dysfunctional, read David's story. Guarantee you it's worse than anything you can imagine. You're like, no, Brian, I got some bad stuff. <laughs> Read a story. It gets bad and it gets bad quick. There's this shift. Goes from, man, look at this man of God to, oh my goodness, now look at the pieces he's having to pick up. You see, sin cost him and it cost him a lot. You see, isn't that what sin does though? It distracts us from the good things of God. It distracts us from the things we should be doing and we get caught up having to fix things and work on things that God didn't want us to break. So why do we sin? Well, because it's fun, isn't it? All right, y'all don't have to be honest. Listen, this pastor, Craig Rochelle says this. He says, if sin isn't fun, you're not doing it right. (laughs) But it's true. All sin meets a desire and a lust. It meets this craving. And we think, oh, well, it won't be that big of a deal. I can't tell you how many times I said that when I was younger and I'm still paying the consequence of it. Well, it's not a big deal. But what you find out, it's a much bigger deal than you could have ever possibly imagined. While sin has a pleasure, the cost is high. You won't know right away, but you will find out later. And usually it's much bigger than you can possibly imagine. It's kind of like a credit card. That payment comes due. 
And see, here's the thing about sin. We look at it as this bad thing, like God's out to get us. No, God's created the world. He's created these natural laws that come into place, these way the human relationships work. God's not against us. God is warning us. He's saying, hey, I don't want you to go down this path. I don't want you to experience this brokenness. I don't want you to experience this hurt. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to hurt your others. Hey, so stay away. And we think, yeah, but... It's not gonna be that bad, right? But, but, see, God doesn't want us to destroy our life. And what we see from the life of David is David got really good at destroying him, his kids, his kingdom. He messed it all up from this. See, for every sin, there's a pleasure and there's a payment. But here's the thing, and you already know this. All of us sin. Every single one of us And it's not that we sin, it's what we do when we sin. You see, it's one thing to sin, but it's another thing to continue in that sin. If David would have just owned up to right at the beginning what he did, it would have been done, but it didn't. It got bad, and it got bad quick. You see, here's some common responses. Tell me if you've ever done any of these. Well, not you, somebody you know, right? It's always easier that way. If you know somebody else has done this. How about this, you ever try to hide your sin? Like, well, I I didn't really do anything bad. I mean, you know, we deny it. Even if we're caught, we're like, no, I mean, I I really didn't do it. We try to cover, that's what David does. He tries to cover it up. Denied, didn't didn't work out so well. Or we rationalize it. You ever done that? Like, well, it wasn't really that bad. I mean, it it didn't hurt anybody. It wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, everybody else is doing it or it's not my fault. You don't know the family I was born into, which comes into the blame shift. It's not me, it's someone else. I didn't do it, like, it's my mom, it's my dad. Like, if you had my dad, listen. You see, I was working on my sermon this week at home. Um, It was just me and Tyler there, and he came up to me with those really squishy, gross balls that when you squish, like, stuff comes out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, stop buying my stuff, kids. uh, Stop buying my kids' toys, people, okay? But look, they, they brought the stuff all squishy and gross, and he came up to me, and it was leaking everywhere. And I was like, oh, Tyler, give it. I don't, I don't want that all over my house. It was green and nasty. And he looked at me, and I wasn't upset at all. I was just like, oh, let me give it that. I got to throw it away. He said, I didn't do it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, it was laying on mommy's jacket. Mommy's jacket did it. And I went, you know, he'll, he'll get better over time not blaming inanimate objects, right, on things. But there's something inside each and every one of us who want to say, well, it's really not my fault to where I didn't care whose fault it was. Just wanted to deal with it. But you see, none of these things actually help anything, and you probably know that. There's only one thing that helps, and it's confession. And I know we're a Baptist church talking about confession, like, whoa, what, what's going on? But it's a confession, not to a priest, But see, after David realized he was gonna get caught, he tried to hide it. I bet he blamed Bathsheba, he rationalized, but he went through that whole cycle. But it wasn't until he confessed that the inside of him was restored. You see, we could get a glimpse of what was going on in the life of David, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you're experiencing it right now. Look at what David says, Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You ever felt that guilt? 
My strength was sapped as the heat of the summer. You ever felt so burdened, so overwhelmed, so distraught? See, this is the guilt and shame that he carried. This is where people start to self-medicate. This is where people start to take it on their own, saying, hey, I got this, I can fix this, and it doesn't work. But he says this, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, sin does something to our heart and soul. Other people can't see it. We can put on a front. We can act like everything's good. But you, you know if it's there. If you're in sin, it's your heart. It's your soul. It gets hardened. It gets hurt. There's something going on inside of you. But David says, when I confessed it, when I acknowledged it and confessed it, you, you got rid of that. You took that. And you see, this is a problem we all face because every single one of us has, have learned to live a life without God. All of us was born into sin. None of us have to be taught how to lie, how to cheat, how to hit, at least no one had to teach my kids. I don't know about what you went through, all right? No, no one had to teach them this. All of us struggle with scripture. All of us struggle with the sin that the scriptures say we're in. None of us can live up to the holiness of God that's so why the scriptures say all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us will come to sections of the Bible where like, hey, I wish this wasn't in here. I wish this wasn't true. Not just some people. Not with just some sins. All of us will deal with this. But what we do when we're confronted with that makes all the difference in our lives and our families' life. You see, the tension you and I face is, how do I deal with the sin I commit? H how do I deal living opposed to how God has asked me to live? How do I deal with that? How do I work that? I mean, I know, I know Jesus gave his life for me, but, but the stuff I'm caught up in now, how do I work through that? It's the confession. This is when the amazing grace of God's love comes real to you. If God's grace and love isn't real to you, it's probably because you haven't confessed. It's probably because you haven't gone to him and really admitted who you are and what you're doing. You see, confession and repentance, it brings restoration to the heart and soul. And you know if you need that. You know if you feel that. God will redeem that. You see, we can confess and be forgiven. It's, it's amazing. From the beginning of scripture, we see that sin is a really big deal. It's damaged our relationship with God and with each other. And over and over again, we see the effects of it. So God took responsibility for it. He wrapped himself in human flesh, came and died for our sins and bore the penalty on the cross. And 1 John 1.8 says, if we can claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. He says, if we confess, you probably know this verse, but never paid attention to it, it says confess. It doesn't say, oh, if you feel bad for it. Oh, if you just acknowledge like, oh, I messed up, I shouldn't have do that. John's like, no, there's a power in this confession. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the thing, God wants to forgive you God wants to redeem you. God wants to rescue you. He's provided a way for that to actually happen through the cross of Christ. So 
confess. Acknowledge it. When you acknowledge and confess your sins, it's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. When you verbally say out loud, like when nobody's around, like that's how I talk with them, nobody else is there. When I verbally actually say what I know to be true, it sickens me. I'm admitting what's really, it's, it's hurtful. I feel ashamed. Because confession reminds us that we're not in charge. We all answer to God. Confession reminds us we're dependent upon his grace. Confessions remind us that we need him. I need his love and his grace in my life every single day. You don't need to carry what he wants to carry for you. See, we, we went to a Sam's trip this week, and every time we go to Sam's, of course, my, my kids, we went with all three kids, right? It's a great idea. You should try it. Saturdays, go with three kids. It's an amazing experience, okay? So, so we win, and we come back. Our kids want to help, but the thing about shopping at Sam's is everything is this big, right? And so my kids go to try to take it out of the car, and when I come back from dropping things, and I look, and they're fumbling and falling on their feet. They're breaking things. They're hurting themselves. I wasn't mad. It's just the reality, right? They can't handle it. And when I see that, I thought about this week and I said, how many of us are living life like that? We're trying to carry this guilt. We're trying to carry this shame. We're trying to carry all this stuff that Christ has said, I, I want to carry that for you. See, on the cross, he carried our judgment. On the cross, he carried our shame. On the cross, he carried all of that. You don't need to carry that around with you. He's already done it. He's standing right there saying, I got this. You don't have to carry those burden, that guilt, that shame. He's saying, I got it. I've taken care of it. Why are you trying to own that? For you, why are you living with all that regret, shame, guilt? Give it to Christ. Confess that you can't own it. And he says, I got it. Because the thing is, your works are not more powerful than his. His grace, love, and forgiveness is far greater than anything you've done. You see, confession and repentance brings restoration to the heart and soul. But not only do we confess to him, I'm almost done wrapping it up quick. Not only do we confess to him, James, the brother of Jesus, also says we confess to who? Each other. We're like, yeah, I'm not doing that one. I know, hold on, just wait a second. He says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Imagine if David would have just told one of his friends, hey, here's what I got going on. Maybe someone could have spoke something positive in his life. Maybe if he said, hey, I saw this woman on the roof, his friend would have said, no. But he kept it in here. That stuff done in secret, it's not good. It says, so confess to each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now listen, I don't know exactly how confession to each other works. I mean, try it out. But I got two suggestions that I've seen work pretty good. First is we confess sins to people who we've sinned against. Some of you have done some things and you haven't made it right. Listen, at times, I don't have a Bible verse for this, but at times you know that the Lord's telling you to go deal with something between you and a person. Not, not like if they sin against you, but you know you need to go talk to them. See, a couple of years ago, I did this. When I was 18 years old, I did something that I'm not proud of. I will never tell you what that is, by the way, okay? 
But the thing is, I got away with it. I prayed about it. I knew I was forgiven. But I knew that God was telling me I had to go make it right. 15 years later, I called this person. It was my old boss. It was his company, all sorts of things. That I'm not going to tell you, but it was just, it was, it was bigger. I called him, set an appointment up with him, and went and met with him. And I confessed. I made it right, and, and I had to make other things right to make that right. I got away with it. But it was one of those things, and maybe you have one of those. Because I carried it around, and I couldn't shake it after 15 years. Now I think about it, and it's gone. Why? Because I made it right. I don't have it anymore. And I'm telling you, it was humbling. It was scary. But it's what I had to do. Some of us, we need to do that. Just do it. And then lastly, we confess for accountability. We all need somebody we can just talk to, be honest, say, here's what I got going on in my life, hold me accountable. You'd be amazed what happens when you have a brother or sister in Christ who's there for you, you can be open and vulnerable with. David could have avoided killing a lot of people. He would have just confessed it. Here's what I got going on. I need you to hold me accountable. And, and what I find so amazing about the story is that God redeems these crazy messes we create. The next king of Israel is his son with Bathsheba. He redeems that. For me, when I went back to my boss and confessed this stuff to him, he couldn't believe it. I was able to share with him the power of Christ and how I couldn't share this. And guess he's an atheist. He's an atheist. And he, he, he said, this is just, this didn't make any sense. And so I started talking about the faith and what Christ was doing in me. I ended up buying him a book. He wanted to read more about it. I bought him this book by Tim Keller called The Reasons for God, which is a great book if you know somebody who doesn't believe. But I don't know what's come up after that. He promised he'd read it. He was interested. But maybe it was just a seed. One thing, one way that maybe he'll find the Lord. But the point is you never know what God can do in those situations. And so in closing, we talked about a lot today. Sin is real. Sin is a very big deal. None of us are immune. The worst thing we can do is pretend it doesn't exist and we have it under control. For every sin, there's a pleasure in payment. But through confession, you can receive forgiveness. Your heart and your soul can be restored and redeemed. See, the great thing for us is that sin can't do its worst because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He's paid for it, paid it in full. And our works are not more powerful than his. So I'm gonna pray. In a minute, we're gonna have a song. We're gonna have Scott come up and he's gonna sing. And it's one of my favorite songs. And I know it's hot in here. Anybody else hot? Yeah, I feel it too. I'm sweating. I'm drenched up here, okay? We're all there. But I don't want you to leave until you've dealt with whatever you got going on. He's gonna sing a song called Come to the Altar where it's about God's just willingness to forgive in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you got something going on in your life, will you just confess it to him today? Acknowledge it. I'll be up here-ish if you want to come and pray. But you can do business with them right there. And maybe for you, you need to make a statement that, hey, I got to go and talk with somebody. I, I got to go deal with this. God's not letting me off the hook here. Or maybe you need to talk to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ right after service. Go, hey, I need you to hold me accountable. Here's what I got going on. 
Whatever that is, remember, we wanna ask it every time we get together is what is God saying to me and what am I gonna do about it? This is a big one. This is one of those times where God's spirit will work through us and bring out things that we need to work through. And so whatever it is in your life, we just ask that you deal with it. Will you stand with us? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna have Scott come up, but stand for the time of prayer. Heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. God, while none of us likes to talk about sin, none of us wants to deal with what we got going on, we know that it's when we deal with it, when we confess it, that you forgive, you restore and redeem. Father, some of us are carrying the shame and guilt in our lives that we just need to let go of it. Some of us need to go talk with friends and family. Some of us need to just be open and honest with a friend to say, here's what I got going on, I need help. But Father, there may be people here who were never confessed and repented at the beginning. They've never given their life to Jesus Christ. They're trying to work and earn it on their own effort. And Father, I pray that today your spirit will show them that you have paid for it on the cross. That if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, you will, they will be saved. God, whatever's going on, we just ask that you work through that this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.